All right. Well, Local City Church, I'm really excited for today because we are finishing out our collection of talks we've been in through May and June called the Beatitudes, talking about this conversation that Jesus had in his message called the Sermon on the Mount. This has been an awesome collection of talks, and this is our final week, week eight of our Beatitudes conversation. Maybe you're sitting in your seat today, you're like, man, this has been so good. Let's keep going. Well, we can't. We're out of Beatitudes, all right? This is the last one. Maybe you're like, yeah, you know, eight weeks, I'm ready. I'm ready for something new. That's okay, too. And we're going to finish strong today as we have a really life-giving conversation, and I think an important conversation around our final Beatitude today. So when you walked in, you were given a little note card. I'd love for you to grab that and fill these out as we go through, because the reason we do these notes every single Sunday is number one, so we can always keep our attention with where we're at in the conversation, but also because I know you're going to need this tomorrow. I know you're going to need it Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and the next week and the week after that. We need these things in our life. They're principles to build our life on. And if we can encourage you throughout the week, that's what we want to do. So you can fill those out today. You can even text local to 97,000. You can find a digital version on the YouVersion app as well. But whatever encourages you, invests in you today, that's what we want to do. So the subtitle for this whole conversation has been the Beatitudes and how to be human. How to be human. And today I want to lean into something I think is really important when it comes to our humanity, but even more specifically when it comes to our life that's been devoted to Jesus. Maybe you're in here today and you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you've got some questions. You're figuring things out. We're glad you're here no matter what. And we believe the church is a great place to build your faith, but also to begin to have a conversation about your faith and what you believe. It's a safe space here. We have some truth that we want to introduce you to as well. So let's get into this today as we finish off with our number eight beatitude. The title of today's message is Blessed Are the Persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted. And let's read our beatitude conversation one last time. This section of scripture from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, it says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now once again, let me give you an understanding of why Jesus does this whole teaching. The Beatitudes are centered around this idea that the culture is going to give you one way to live, and I'm going to give you one way to live. And the choice is yours. And there's really only one right answer in that conversation. Every single beatitude statement is countercultural, where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who realize that we've gone through difficult times and we've got to be open and cry a little bit. Dads, it's okay to cry sometimes and let your family see that you're crying because we will be comforted in those moments. It's blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize they can't do it all on their own. We need God in our life. 
Blessed are those who are meek. What does meekness mean? Blessed are those who don't try and live above everyone else and try to use all their strength and talents to prove themselves but to serve others. Countercultural, but kingdom-minded in what God has designed us and the way he's designed us to live. So Beatitude number 8 comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So we're going to do a little bad news, good news thing real quick before we pray and jump into the heart of the message. I'm a guy that would, in, that would appreciate bad news first because I want to end with the good news. Give me something to go on, all right? Give me something to celebrate. Well, here's the bad news, is that if you follow Jesus, persecution will happen. That's just a given. That persecution will happen in our life when we follow Jesus. Why? Because it happened to Jesus. Jesus was the greatest person who ever lived. He was the Son of God. He created miracles. He raised people from the dead. He healed people. He fed people. And still, people persecuted him and betrayed him. And it happened to Jesus, so it's going to happen to us because we are his followers. I mean, it's encouraging to read these things where it says, blessed are when people insult you. How many of you guys have ever been insulted before? Anyone ever been insulted? Okay, good. Few of us, few of us. Come on, how many guys have been insulted? Had someone mock you? You felt persecuted by this life? There we go. Class participation, it's 100% every time for everybody. But it's this encouragement that Jesus has blessed are you when that happens because it happened to me. And I want to help you through this thing because the good news is, I love good news. How many of you love good news? Come on, we love good news in here. Good news, good weather outside. Good news when we achieve all those points on our Starbucks card or wherever where our drink's free that day, right? That's good news. Well, the good news is that even though we may experience persecution, the culture around you is not greater than the kingdom within you. And I want you to know that today. It may seem like culture is up against us sometimes. It may seem like there is no end in sight. There is no victory over that mountain. But the kingdom that is within you today is greater than the culture around you that seems so loud, that seems so hurtful sometimes. And for us, Jesus simply says, hey, you're blessed in those moments, and I want to help you. Turn to the person next to you, give them a little elbow, and say, hey, there's a kingdom inside you. There's a kingdom inside you online. Drop it in the comment section today. There's a kingdom inside you. And as we pray today, I want to encourage you and be honest with you that persecution will happen, but there's something inside of you that is stronger than any of that persecution or any of that loudness or hatred or difficulties that come from our culture sometimes. Would you open your hearts and your minds today as we pray? I want to pray with you as we start our message. God, we're so thankful for a great day in church. We're so thankful, God, that you are our Heavenly Father. God, it's an honor to wear that title, Father, because I know it's a reflection of you. And we just give you this time. God, I'm so thankful for everyone that makes Sundays happen, from all of our home team volunteers to our kids leaders and teachers that are teaching our kids right now how much you love them and how Jesus can be their very best friend. From babies all the way up until elementary school, God, they're worshiping you. They're learning about the Bible. There's nothing better. And we just give you this moment. We give you this conversation. And God, we come to you humbly after last night. 
asking for a miracle for our lightning to overcome this zero to two spread right now in the Stanley Cup. We're believing because we live in Champa Bay and we're holding on to that even though we feel persecuted this morning. In Jesus' name, come on everybody, give me a good amen and let's jump into the message today. I know it's funny, but hey, I need it. After last night, I had to turn the game off after the first period because it was bad. And then I checked later, seven to zero. I was like, man, I do feel persecuted tonight as a Lightning fan, and I'm encouraged to share the, the message that blessed are those who are persecuted on a Sunday morning. But I want to have a good time, a laugh a little bit right now at this portion of the message, because what we're going to talk about today is a little heavy. So one of the things I love doing is I love uh, just memes. If you don't know what a meme is, it's like a funny picture with a funny caption that makes you laugh. And I stumbled across a couple Father's Day memes that I wanted to share with you today because I know sometimes, dads, we can feel persecuted. Sometimes, dads, we can feel like the pressure is against us. We can feel like everyone's against us or our, da- our, our job is hard. But we're going to honor some dads today. This first meme is just the spitting image uh, of my dad when I w- was growing up. Maybe you've seen, maybe you grew up with a dad who loved to fall asleep on the couch, or maybe your dad currently does that. Maybe this happens, you turn off the TV because it was too loud, and your dad says, hey, I was watching that. This is him two seconds ago. That was my dad, and that's me now. I'm glad that I'm walking in the footsteps of my father, that that just happens. My dad was a big, he would always say this, I wasn't sleeping, I was resting my eyes, right? Anybody's dad ever say that? I'm resting my eyes. What does that even mean, dad? But it's okay. This one I love, this is kind of, I feel like, this, might, this is kind of me right now, I feel like, in my life. Um, this is what I think, how I see myself, if you want to throw that next one up there. How I view myself it's how my kids view me. I can feel that happening, right? You feel like you're so cool. You're a cool dad. You're a fun dad. And then your kids just see you as old Defonz, old Henry Winkler, right? And uh, I stumbled across this one the other day that I thought was really funny. This was a little test that a kid was given. And I love his brutal honesty on this little quiz that he was given. Who's your hero? Dad. So nice. Who do you consider this person your hero? Because he's so brave. And then is there anything your hero is frightened of? Mom. No, yeah, come on, dads. We got to give a good amen to that. But we know our wives are good and moms are supporting us, but we also know they're right. And we just got to love on them too and serve them and, and care for them because that's what we're called to do. I love this stuff. It makes me laugh. And I love laughing, having a good time in church because it opens us up to talk about some important things. So today, when we walk through this conversation of persecution, the first conversation I want to have, and I want to give you three things, three truths, three principles to stand on, is how can persecution be a good thing? How can persecution, Pastor Ryan, possibly be good in my life? Well, write this first thing down, is that persecution can deepen what we call conviction as we follow Jesus. Persecution deepens your conviction. Now, what is conviction? I'm glad you asked. It is a very important thing in our life to understand what this is, especially in our relationship with God and especially as we follow Jesus. Because I I think sometimes we get conviction confused with condemnation. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and those who have surrendered their life to Jesus. So we don't come into church on Sundays to be condemned. We don't want, my goal on a Sunday is not to tell you all the wrong things you've done and, and burden you with all these things that you have to do. My goal is to help you see who you really are. My goal is to help you realize who God created you to be as his son, as his daughter, and to show you how he is your heavenly father and Jesus is your closest friend who gave his life for you and is alive today. And conviction reminds us of that. 
So condemnation is something that beats us downward. You're less than because of what you've done. And you need to fix this because you're wrong. And that is a religious spirit, but not a relationship spirit, which is what God has created us for. And conviction is this idea where God looks at us through the power of his Holy Spirit and says, hey, you're struggling with this thing and what you're doing is wrong, and it's not who you are. You don't have to struggle with this anymore. Hey, you don't have to walk with that vengeful spirit anymore. You don't have to walk with so much anger or fear or stress. It's not who you are. I've created you as my son, as my daughter. See, condemnation pushes us down. Conviction pushes us up to who we actually were created to be. It's a reminder that first and foremost, I'm a son of God. I'm a part of his family. And yes, I've made mistakes. Yes, I've messed up. But I'm convicted to know that there is forgiveness there, that there is freedom there. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, the apostle Paul says, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness. Say what, Paul? Your pleasure in weakness? No, that's not how it works in culture in our world. we got to show how strong we are, how we can get through these things. No, and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and trouble that I suffer for who? For Christ. When I'm weak, then I am strong. So my encouragement to you, when you deepen your conviction, it's realizing that when you're persecuted, it's for a reason. When you're going through difficult seasons, it's for the sake of Jesus sometimes. And that reminds us the purpose behind our persecution. That reminds us why we can keep going. It deepens our conviction to realize, man, I don't care what culture says or how I feel right now. My conviction is deep. It's like the deep roots of a tree that may, the the storm may throw it side to side, but it's not blowing over because I'm rooted in the conviction of who I am in Jesus. That's what we're here to help you see and help you know. I think about an, uh, an Old Testament, a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Daniel. Now, Daniel was a leader in Israel at the time that they were exiled in an area called Babylon. They had been persecuted. They had been enslaved. They had been defeated, beaten up, because they kept turning their back on God. But you can turn your, turn your back a hundred times on God, but he'll always be right there when you turn around. And the times when Israel would repent and ask for help, God would send them leaders like Daniel. And when, Le- when Daniel was in exile in Babylon with the Israelite people, They began to try and persecute him and change who he was. And Daniel had to have deep convictions because the first thing they tried to do was change his name. They changed his name from Daniel, which Daniel in the biblical sense means God is my judge. What does that mean? It's what God says, not what anyone else says. God's my main focus. God is my judge. God is the person that I'm trusting and following. God is the one, just like a judge in court, God is the one who has authority in this world and in this life. Not you, not me, no one else. But they changed his name to Belshazzar. Sorry, I tried to get that right. Belshazzar, there we go. Which means one that is now a servant of Bel, which was a god in Babylon at that time. One who was protected by Bel. And Bel was the god of order and destiny. So the first thing that persecution in Daniel's life tried to do was convince him he was somebody else. Convince him that his name means this, not this. I want you to know today, the first thing the enemy will try to do when you're persecuted is convince you that your name is not son and daughter anymore. It's orphan, it's alone, it's not good enough, it's broken, it's not worthy of anything, not a part of any family. And God says, no, 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 do not let the persecution trick you or deceive you. You are still my son, you are still my daughter. Your name is known on my heart and on the heart of my son who's given his life for you. 
Deepen your convictions. Don't be swayed by the storms. Don't be swayed by the persecution. Because even in the midst of it all, Jesus stood strong and he is our example. The second thing is this, is persecution reminds you of divine protection. In Psalm 57, I love this verse. Have mercy on me, God. Please have mercy. For I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I don't know if you've ever seen birds hide their little babies in their nest. It's dark for the babies. They can't see what's going on. It's fearful to be in that dark place. But once you realize more and more who you are and your conviction deepens and persecution refines you, you begin to be realize that even in the dark situations, when you're following Jesus and trusting God, it's because he's protecting you. You may not be able to see what's going on or see what's happening, but God is protecting you. It's a healthy understanding of how God keeps you and is there for you and leads you and guides you. And it reminds you that God wants to protect his kids. I want to protect my son. It's like the number one thing in my life right now because he does not want to protect himself. He wants to do all the crazy things that hurt him, whether it's playing in the street or playing with something sharp or jumping off the couch onto the hardwood floors. He loves it all. I don't know why. But it's my goal. I want to protect him. And I'm an earthly father. And I'm here to tell you today, your heavenly father wants to protect you. Now, protection is not re removing any sort of discomfort or pain in your life. because That's how you grow. One of the things I do as a father as well is help Shepard realize that when things hurt you, hey, sometimes it's okay, buddy. You can get back up and keep going. And I can help you do that thing, but I can't do it for you. See, Daniel was... was persecuted in the sense that he loved praying. He prayed every single morning to God. He would bow down, open the windows to his room, and pray, God, I pray for Israel right now. I pray for this persecution we're going through. I pray for my relationship with you. Thank you, God, for giving me life. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And the king made a decree that said, you can only pray to me. And I was like, well, that didn't work, because you're a man, and you are not the heavenly king. You are not the heavenly father, so I'm not praying to you. And he outlawed any sort of prayer towards Israelite God. And there were these rulers that were, that were under the king's authority that they just wanted to take Daniel down. They didn't like him. Persecution, right? When people insult you and hardships and things like that. And they kind of spy on Daniel. And they go to the king and say, Daniel's still praying. And the king says, okay, well, we're going to have to throw him in the lion's den because that's what we said. And so the king doesn't want to do it because Daniel is his friend, but he throws him in the lion's den. And in those moments, Daniel prays and God protects him. You ever been in a lion's den before? It would be weird if anyone raised their hand. I like, right, maybe, maybe spiritually. I didn't mean physically, but I meant physically. But I've never been in that kind of situation, staring some teeth of lions in the face. One of Shepard's favorite books right now is about Daniel in the lion's den. He loves it. And we, we love that story because it reminds him that, hey, sometimes it's going to feel like God's forgotten about you. But just as that problem is about to bite you, is about to hurt you, God's going to keep the, the, the jaws of that lion shut, and he's going to be right there with you no matter what. You cannot be reminded of divine protection if every time we walk into the lion's den, we immediately jump out and run away. You can't be reminded of the protection that only God can bring you if every time the storm gets hard, you run inside and stop walking forward. you got to realize that there is protection, and persecution reminds us of that. The last thing is this, is persecution can lead to promotion. See, in Daniel's life, after he walks out of the lion's den alive, not eaten, the king says, well, Daniel, I guess your God really is God. <laughs> and so we are going to make a decree now that everyone is going to pray to your God. Because clearly, 
He is the God of miracles. He is the God who protects his people. He is the God who's more powerful than we can possibly understand. And Daniel is placed in charge of a lot of things. He's given authority, and he's promoted to a level of influence. In Matthew chapter 5, right after the Beatitude conversation, Jesus tells us what our promotion is when we surrender our life and follow the Beatitudes. It says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. I want you to know there are people right now in our world, in your life right now, who are desperately looking for some light. And God wants to promote us on that lampstand to shine the light of Jesus and the hope that only he can give into their life. But if we give up when persecution comes, it's not going to happen. If Daniel had given up on praying, he never would have been promoted to this position where he could influence people with the authority and power of God. See, the enemy would love to convince you that when you're being persecuted, it means God is mad at you. The enemy would love to convince you that when you're being persecuted, God is really far away. But in Psalm 23, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. I want you to know today, in the midst of persecution, God is with you. And there are some things right now, church, that we have to begin to hold on to, even when it, begets, even when it gets unpopular, even when we may be persecuted for it or made fun of or called whatever, doesn't matter because my first position in life is under the authority of God and what he says because he's the only one that's given his son for me and Jesus is the only one that's given his life for me and conquered death so that I can be forgiven and set free. And so my goal for us today is to move past just getting settled in the defeated mindset or the persecuted mindset. Because let's have an honest conversation too. The persecution that you and I face is nowhere near the persecution that other believers face in the world. Just to give you some outside the United States perspective of the capital C church, there are people that do what we do right now, and when they walk out the door, they have to be afraid of whether or not someone's going to be there to kill them. When they try to grab a Bible, it's not one that's on every shelf or easy to get or we can download an app. If they're caught with a Bible, they could be thrown in jail. It's because there are forces of evil at this, in this world that want to destroy the church. And for us, if we have to experience a little inconvenience on social media sometimes or a little inconvenience of having an unpopular truth that we're holding on to, remember you could, we could be somewhere else or our li- very life could be threatened and separation from our family, and, and reading stories of, of what happens across the, across the world. And so, keep, I mean, persecution is real, but let's keep it relative as well to what we're experiencing. And the, the great thing, I, I don't say that to guilt you. I say that to say, hey, what we're doing is worth it. And if people are giving their life for it, we can give our complacency and our comfort for it as well. We can sacrifice those things and trust God. We can sacrifice those things and keep moving forward in the persecution. That's how it helps. It reminds us of our conviction. It reminds us of the divine protection and divine promotion that God has for us. See, that my dad was a great example of this. I remember, you know, my dad, he went to Florida State, so I'm a big Florida State fan, which right now is not the easiest thing because they're not good. Like, especially in football, they are not good. We're praying big prayers for this season. But I remember my dad, he took me up to Tallahassee, and we toured Florida State, and he, my dad was a great tour guide. He just loved history, and he remembers experiences he had, and he's like, here's where this happened, here's that. We went to the stadium, walked through all the stadium. It was great. And in those moments, it deepened my conviction to realize, man, this is something my dad loved, and he's inviting me into it, and now I love it too. 
So when Florida State stinks, my conviction is deep, knowing that I'm not giving up because they're not good now. Like, my father led me into this, and this is important to him, and it was ingrained some importance and significance in my life. So whether they're winning it all or losing it all, I'm not becoming a fair-weather fan for this team because my dad showed me what it meant to him and what it meant to me growing up. Can I tell you, your heavenly father is trying to show you that as well. So when you're winning or losing your convictions and protection and promotion, is saying, I'm not giving up when it's difficult because I know there's more ahead, and God has shown me the good things and the miraculous things that he has for me. So let's laugh a little bit more. Let's laugh today and have a good time in our conversation because I'm about to give you some practicals as we close. But I've done some studies on dads. And again, I love my dad. But one thing that was true about him that is true about me and true about a lot of dads is that once they hit their late 30s, style just kind of pauses. Like whatever a dad's style is when he's like 36 to 37, just that's it. He's not going any farther. Like I'm almost there. Like this is it. Like my 40s, 50s, this is going to be it, right? Like maybe you had a dad who, who was in the 80s and he looked like this. Maybe he still looks like that. Maybe he still dresses like that. I don't know. Maybe he's got the beard. I, I think that's cool. I wish I was a dad in the 80s because I think that looks cool. Now that looks cool. But maybe you had a dad who was a dad in the 90s and he adopted this style and you're like, dad, you got to grow out of that. All right, we're going to shorts, dad, and tucked in. Come on, we're not doing that. Those big old socks, right? We're not doing that, dad. We got to grow. He's like, hey, this was cool when I was in my prime, and that's where I'm staying, all right? So, like, this is 2000s, Dad, this is it right here. This is where I'm staying. I'm not going any farther because I don't have time to learn a whole new style, right? It's okay, and I'm comfortable with that, and I'm honoring that in my life. My dad was a tucked-in shorts guy, too. It was great, and he was awesome. I loved him. He had his wispy gray hair, man. Was, oh, I never knew my dad without a beard, which was cool. My shepherd probably will never know me without a beard because Adrian would kill me if I shaved. He'd be like, who is this? It's not who I married. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'll grow, it'll grow back in a couple days. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but let me give you some practicals that I think will go deep in who we are. So how do we handle persecution, Ryan? That's a great question. The first thing is this, is that you got to choose to overlook offense. you got to choose to overlook offense. If I were to ask you where have you been offended, you'd probably be able to rattle off a whole list. If I were to ask you where, where are you dealing with offense right now, you would know specifically all those things. What I'm asking you to do today is overlook that and look to Jesus. Because the problem is, a lot of times in our life, we know more about our offense than we know about Jesus. We're able to memorize all the things that had happened to us that offended us, rather than memorizing the words of Jesus that help us through that very offense. Can I give you an encouragement today and kind of a challenge as your pastor this morning? If you follow Jesus, I don't think you're really allowed to live offended. You can be offended, but you can't live in offense. Because offense is saying that thing has power over me. Offense is saying, that thing is now telling me who I am. Offense is saying, well, that thing is now trapping me in this prison because I just can't get past it. I'm telling you, you're going to get offended. It's going to happen. But I just want to, I've been following Jesus for a little while now. And I have these moments now where people will say things that, that bother me. Or I see things on social media that bother me. And in that moment, I just say, you know what? It's okay, though. It's in your hands, God. I don't have to fight that battle because it's not the battle I was called to fight. See, in Proverbs 10, 12, it says, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. See, when you begin to realize and forget all the details of your offense, but learn all the details and depth of the love of Jesus, it's a lot easier to overlook those things. Because what happens is offense becomes this blinder that's all we see what that person said, what that person did. They forgot my birthday, or I still haven't got that promotion yet at work. 
or that emotional thing or whatever it may be or they, they didn't comment on my picture and I don't want to be friends with them anymore. Just overlook it because there's so much life on the other, other side of it. I would, if you were to ask me what are the top problems in our culture today is we've given way too much power to offense. Let me have an honest statement with you. Just because someone is offended does not mean that they're right. Just because you're offended doesn't mean that you're right. Because God is trying to show you who you are. God is trying to show you the kingdom within you. And you'll never see that if all you see is the offense in areas you've been hurt. So let me give you the second thing, all these build. The second thing, let me give you a little practical though on how we deal with that. I want to give you this because it'll be up on the screen. When we give our lives to love, you see love helps us see past the behavior and imagines the pain in their life. When I see someone that's super hot, super angry, super ill-tempered all the time on, on Instagram, I say, man, man, what are they going through? They're so angry. When I see someone in life who's so hurtful and so vengeful, I'm like, man, what's going on in their life? I wish, they, I wish they knew the forgiveness and joy that I have in Jesus. It's a great place to live. I would invite you to be there with me. And I don't get it right all the time, but it's just decisions I've made. The second thing is, is to keep my heart free from unforgiveness. Where are, you, where are you still holding on to unforgiveness of people that have hurt you years ago? I want to keep my heart free from that. Why? Because, number one, Paul challenges me in Colossians 3 to make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. And remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I know I've messed up and turned my back on God, and he forgave me. So how can I not show that to someone else? But I really I don't have to spend too much time on this one because I think this quote will speak to you wherever you're at today, is that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. Uh, to realize that sometimes we're standing in a jail cell that's unlocked, but it's because it's easy to hold on to offense. It's easy to hold on to unforgiveness. Can I encourage you today? Maybe Father's Day is hard for you because you haven't forgiven your dad. Why don't you set up a text or a call today? It may not be easy, but it'll be free. It'll be freeing. Maybe there's someone in your life you're just holding on to. I promise you, they're living their life free while we're trapped. Can you walk out of that jail cell today and be set free by the forgiveness that Jesus has given you and forgive that person? Realize the persecution, all that stuff is going to happen, but we can be forgiven and set free. The third thing is this, is to pray and bless and do good to others. You know, I say this all the time, and I'll say it again. The most fulfilled people in our church are the ones who serve. Why? Because they realize that life is crazy. Monday through Saturday might have been unforgiving and difficult and persecuted and hard, but on Sunday I get to walk into a church, even though it's early, and set up things and build classrooms for kids and make coffee for somebody because someone's going to walk into this place discouraged, and I get to serve them and show them the hope of Jesus that has so radically changed my life. If you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling hurt, if you're feeling persecuted, just decide to do good to somebody else today. Pray for that person who's persecuting you. Bless that person who has broken you. Because what Jesus did, the last thing Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus fed people and raised people from the dead and healed people who would never, ever even thank him for doing that. But he did it anyway because he realized this is the blessed life. On the walls today, there's some cards you can grab just to hop on the home team, which is what we call our volunteers. I believe for some of us, 
the other side of depression and anxiety and fear and stress is getting in a place where we can volunteer and just serve God's house and build God's house because there is absolutely nothing like it. Would you give me a shout of thanks for all the volunteers that make this thing happen? Come on, they do this for you guys. They do this for Jesus. And as we close today, here's the last one I want to give you is remember who has gone before you. I can't say this one enough because I don't say this as someone who has figured all this out. I say it as an imperfect, broken person who is doing the best I can to follow Jesus. And Jesus doesn't ask us to follow him from a position of, hey, figure it out for yourself or what's wrong with you. We follow him from his position of, hey, I've been through it. I know what it's like and I can help you if you just trust me. Blessed are the persecuted, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. I want to see heaven on earth in my life. And blessed are those who endure hardships and, and hurt and persecution and pain. And Jesus says, when you go through those things for my sake, I will remember you, I will see you, I will help you, and I will be there for you. Constantly remember, constantly understand that we are following a Jesus who has been there and is there now with us no matter what. Remember who's gone before you. I always think about, I'll close with this little story. I always remember first time I went to New York City, I was like 15 years old, a junior in high school, went on a missions trip. Missions trip was awful, but the, the fact that we were in New York was cool. And I remember as a 15 year old kid, uh, like I was scared, like in, in Times Square, I like never been there, a lot of honking, a lot of like things going on, like my opinion of like, I'm gonna get, you know, mugged or something, even the broad daylight, like I just had all these misconceptions. And I remember my youth pastor, he was a big six foot six guy, and he was very easy to see over the crowd. And even though I might get, I might get lost behind people or uh, I might get behind a little bit, all I would do is look up and see, there he is, okay, I'm just following him, I'm gonna get to where I need to go because I can see him, I'm just gonna keep following his back, keep following his hat that I can see. No matter what, as loud as it may get, if I just choose to step up a little bit and look over the things in front of me, I know where I'm going and I'm following someone who's big and strong and knows where they're going, so I may not see the direction, but I'm following the person who knows more than me anyway. Can I encourage you today to be blessed in your life today? Is to just get on your tippy toes a little bit and see that Jesus is there knocking out things that you don't even see yet, protecting you in areas you don't even know about yet, and leading you and guiding you through all the traffic and craziness and fear that you may experience because the promise is today, Jesus has gone before you. If that helps you today, well, give me a good amen. Let's say thank you to Jesus for that. Would you stand to your feet today as we close and just stay in this attitude of prayer?